Uh, more than more times than not, I, I end up forgetting to pick that up and study a lot of times. And I, I even said it in the message the other day. I need somebody to post that on the Facebook group so I'll see it and remember to study sometimes. But it's good to get here and get that book so I can uh, do some studying if you don't have a particular study. And sometimes I jump all over the place. I'm real guilty of that. But uh, we'll be uh, looking a little bit this morning in the scriptures at the prodigal son. Uh, a pretty familiar piece of scripture. We've been focusing. Uh, with the messages on being in the family of God. And that's sort of the thought process that I'll be on for, I don't know, a few more weeks. If not, I, it may stop this week. I've, I've said that before. But uh, we look at being in the family of God. And even in that song, Kimberly just sang, he's, he's my father and I'm the child. You know, it's a, it's a relationship that we should have. And, you know, I, I, I look at the relationship with my son and it's a roller coaster. I mean, he's eight years old, and sometimes he's like uh, forcing me to the point where I'm ready to cry and just go in a corner and give up, or I'm just ready to just have fun, go fishing, and, and embrace him. You know, it's just, it's touch and go. It's just like, you know, so much love, and it's just so much anger sometimes, and so much joy, and so much strife. And it's a, it's amazing to think about the relationship that we have with God, because He is our Father. He's the one that takes care of us. That's that relationship, we preached on it last week, that close relationship that we should have comfort and ease going to Him and ease talking to Him and, and ease uh, building that relationship. You know, it's, uh, I think we all get a bit stumped when we really think about the real relationship that we have with God. I do. It kind of it kind of blows me away, and we and we think about these these natures that we have, and we think about uh, you know we see ourselves as something less than a true son of God. You know why do we do that? We're so guilty of it. I'm guilty of it each and every day, and we uh, well, I really have to ask why. You know uh, I, I've shared before that it is the devil's best interest that you be ignorant <laughs> of the identity that you're a child of God. So. If the devil can convince you that your core identity is a sinner, he's won. If your core identity is what you do, he's already beat you. And so many times we are guilty, and I am too, of thinking that I am defined by what I do, which was what we preached on two weeks ago. So uh, we, we need to really think about the, the messages that's coming. You know, the message this morning is the prodigal son, and I'll give you bonus points if you're already sitting there opening it up because I believe there's only one place in the Bible that is that. I might be wrong, uh, but it's in Luke 15. And Luke 15 is where we'll be at uh, this morning, Luke 15. And I want to ask you to stand because it's quite a bit of Scripture. And I'll, I'll read 11 through 32. And uh, I'll try not to uh, preach too long. Uh, I might with this one, but 11, uh, chapter 15, uh, 11... Uh, through 32 the word of God says this and he said a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father father give me the portion of the goods that falleth to me and he divided unto them his living and not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living and when he had spent all there arose a mighty famine in the land and he began to be in want and he went and joined himself to the citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he had came to himself, he said, How many hired servants 
of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And his son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and it came. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he has received him safe and sound. And verse 28 says this, And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him and he answered saying to his father lo these many years do i serve thee neither transgressed i at any time thy commandment and yet thou never gavest me a kid that thou make make merry with my friends but as soon as thy this as this thy son was come which hath devoured thy living with harlots thou hast killed for him the fatted calf and he said unto him son Thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead, is alive again. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for allowing us to come together here this morning. We thank you for the scripture. We thank you for uh, those ones that are assembled here together. Lord, I pray that we'll obey you in all things, that you continue to lead God and direct. Lord, I thank you for my home in heaven. I thank you for these scriptures. And Lord, I pray that we'll uh, use them in a way that will benefit you. Lord, I thank you for... All the many things that you've done in my life. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Now, in the scriptures today, we're looking at that prodigal son. That was a lot of scriptures. I, you know, I typically don't sit up here and read a lot of scriptures to begin with. Uh, but the story of the prodigal son is one that a lot of us know. Uh, there's two sons, obviously, and one of them decides that his inheritance is needed in advance. <laughs> and he needs uh, to go ahead and take the inheritance that his, his dad gives him and so he can go and live the way that he wants. And so he does. Now, I, I suspect he's a teenager. <laughs> I suspect he's an 18 to 20-year-old kid, what I, I engrave in my mind when I think about this. Uh, and he, he desires to exercise a little bit of autonomy. He wants to be different from his dad. He wants to be different from his, his family. And, and I can rewind back to being 18 to 19 years old and that point that we, we get out of school. Or we we, we, we want to be able to distance ourselves. We don't want to be like dad. We don't want to be like mom. And I, I think about my music choices as a young as a young person. I, I think about my clothing choices. I think about the vehicle that I want to drive. Everything I had, I wanted to be different than what my mom and dad had. I did. I, I wanted to have that autonomy, that distance. I, I didn't want to show up and say, "Well, that's Jeff's son." I, I, I didn't want to have that shown forth. But and we see him having the same thing. He wants autonomy. He wants to try to live his own life. He wants to try to have his own terms. He wants to be free in so many ways from his father. The problem is that this was a radical rejection of his dad. 
what he did in so many ways, he went to his father and he says, uh, suppose you die. What am I going to get? Oh, I'm going to get that? I want it now. That's what he did with his dad. He says, I want to pretend that you die. I want you to tell me what I'm going to get. And we're going to go ahead and live that out. And I want you to give me what's owed to me. And we're going to pretend like you're dead. Isn't that sad what he did to his dad? Now, there's a lot of ways to look at it from the dad's point of view. But it was heartless. It was cruel. It was ungrateful. It was hateful. I, I can't imagine the... <laughs> I don't want to use the word rude because that's probably really low on the totem pole, but man, that was, it was tough. What he said to his dad. And sin is more like, it's more than breaking rules and laws. Sin is breaking relationship. We have a relationship with God. We do. He is our Father, our spiritual Father. He supplies, and we know this, He supplies us every good thing. Everything that we have good is from Him. And in so many ways, sin is breaking that rule. And the son, he, he doesn't break the rules so much as he breaks his father's heart. He doesn't do anything to make his dad turn his back on him. He just goes to his dad and says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Tell me what's owed to me. I, I can't imagine, I mean, when my son gets old enough, he might rebel and he may do something similar. And I believe there are plenty of families that have this type of thing happen in their lives. But in this passage, the youngest son gets his share of his father's property and goes into a far country and literally wastes it. He wastes everything that his dad gave him. He goes to his dad, gets whatever is owed to him. We can understand it's a certain portion of his father's goods and pretends he's dead and his father amazingly just gives it to him. says, son, if that's what you want. And that's, that's amazing what the dad does. He gives it to him. Really doesn't ask a lot of questions. He gives it to him, gives him what his, his son wants. And we see the son go out and he wastes it in a foreign country. In fact, the Greek says that he scattered his wealth. It's almost the imaginative. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody make it rain where they take a, a pile of money and they just start making money fly out everywhere. They just pile it out. They just get rid of it. And the youngest son here, he gets this share and he just scatters it. He casts off all restraint. He casts off all self-control. Anything that his dad ever taught him about money or, or finances or how to save, Oh, it's out the window. We're going to do everything opposite of what my father has told me how to do things. He, he dove deep into this septic tank of self-indulgence. He, he wanted to do everything for himself, and it stank. It stank so bad that in verse 14, we find that he is living on, he's wasted all of his money, and now there's a famine. Now there's, What a coincidence that when you... Go and do whatever you want to and spend whatever you want to. Life also gets tough on top of that. It isn't like he could have good times in the middle of blowing all of his money and wasting all of his substance and have an opportunity to earn some money back. No, there's a famine, a famine in the land, and now he has no way of earning any kind of money. He has to pretty much, at this point, uh, turn to something else. Verse 15, he hires himself out. And what does he hire himself out to do? The lowest of all possible jobs. You have to realize what he accepted to do. He left his father's house, and I, I assume his father's very wealthy. He's got plenty of, of property, plenty of land, plenty of positions, plenty of uh, employ, employees, uh, slaves, uh, all these different things. A, a very powerful man was his dad, and at this point he's asked his dad, Hey, I wish you were dead. He leaves, takes all the money, wastes it, and now... 
things are so bad, I'm going to go out and feed pigs for the neighbors. An unclean animal. I'm going to go down to the lowest of the low. And I, I guarantee that if you've ever heard this priest or studied it, this is pretty much the very basic principle of this. Uh, he gets out here and he's, he's feeding these empty cobs or empty these vegetables or whatever he's doing here. And for anybody to be this low, it's, it's a low job for a Jew. This is the worst. This is a place you are not supposed to be. In 16... We see a little bit about his character. Yeah, he went out to feed pigs, but it says in 16, he longed to fill himself with these things. He longed for these husks. But it says that no one gave him any. What does that mean? It means that he wasn't a thief. He could have took what he, what he needed to survive, but he didn't. He, he, he might have went to his dad, and he went to his dad and said, Dad, I wish you were dead. He rebelled against his dad, but in no way can we really find that he was a sinner, that he was a bad kid at this point. He just made bad decisions. He wanted to separate himself from his dad and take the inheritance, and he's, he goes to this place, and he could have stolen and become a bad person, get thrown in jail and, and beaten, whatever, but we see him getting put into work feeding swine, and he just wanted to eat what the swine were eating, but nobody would give him any. He wasn't a thief. He wasn't going to take things. Uh, God doesn't want, he doesn't have these things going, the, the pods that he's feeding them. It says the husk in the King James, but it's actually a, a pod off of a carob tree. It's a locust tree. It's, it's actually got a, a gelatin-like material inside of it. It's kind of sweet. And usually what they did with these things is they fed the poor with them and they fed them the pigs. That's the only two uses they had for these things in this area. So this was, it's not exactly like he was asking or looking for a whole lot. He was looking for a pack of ramen noodles. <laughs> he was looking for a, a little bitty, a little saltine crackers, okay? We put it in, in American terms. He's looking for the cheapest of the cheap and the lowest of the low, simplest food that he could possibly get a hold of. That's what he wanted. But he couldn't get it. These people were so bad they wouldn't give him nothing. In 17 through 19, we see that, would you like to notice that the father, the father did not go and get him Y'all notice this church? The father did not load up his stuff and go get his son out of that situation. How many times do we see that? And I'm not saying that's wrong, but we don't see in this example that the prodigal son needed anybody to go get him out of that situation. When he was in the situation, God does not protect us from our bad choices. He doesn't. He does not protect me when I do something stupid. Oftentimes, the best discipline is for us to stand back and just wait, watch somebody make bad choices, make somebody make bad decisions. The prodigal son had to make bad choices. He had to make bad decisions. And I, I think that this young man's father loved him enough that he allowed him to experience this shame, that he experienced this pain that these decisions made him have. This is where he begins to come to his senses. <laughs> he thought to himself, he said, man, he's realized what he's done. Perhaps uh, we, we have a child. Perhaps we have family that do these things. We, 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 we have these things and they go other directions. We try to raise them the best that we can and they do the exact opposite. I think about Jack when I ask him to do something. And it's an hour later or the next day and he still hasn't done it. That drives me crazy. And I know that it's probably going to get way worse when he gets older. But right now, it's just simply asking him little things to do and he doesn't do them. And 
I know that this story gives me encouragement. It should. Any, any parent that has children uh, that have rebelled or may possibly rebel one day, this story should give you encouragement because it tells us that God will bring them to their senses one day. It shows us that God will show them what kind of place that they're in. It's hard to let go of your children. It is. It's very difficult to let our children go, but when you let them go and you give them to God and you count on God for God to take care of them, everything works out typically. If we stand back, and that is so difficult. The prodigal son's dad, I see him, he could have been the helicopter parent he could have stood back and he says, I'm going to let you go, son. But in his mind, he says, and it gets bad enough, I'm going to go save him. I'm going to go take care. Of him. I'm going to pull him out of that situation. <laughs> I've seen it. I've heard it. But this story here doesn't show the dad going and getting him. We see his father as right and just and as himself. And he went to him and he told him, and I can't imagine what the prodigal son told him, told his dad when he approached. I imagine the son had already rehearsed exactly what he was going to say. Probably has said it to himself over a hundred times. I think of the times that I have to go apologize to my wife. And, uh, and she knows that I have. And she, if she says that I'm not, she's lying. But I, I, I work up my apologies. I don't know if y'all are pretty good at that. But I really lined them up. I said, yeah, I probably need to cook supper. And then uh, I probably uh, I need to cook something real good that she likes. Cook dessert, because I know she really likes dessert. And then, uh, and then work that apology in right there. And then I'm working on it all day long about how I'm going to work. I think the prodigal son probably did the exact same thing. He's got to go to his dad. The dad that he told him, and I've never told my wife that I wish you were dead. And that's a pretty serious offense. He told his dad, I wish you were dead. Give me what I deserve. <coughs> I can't fathom the heartache that his dad felt. And at this time, he cries and goes to his, son, his, his dad. Now, in 20 through 21, when you read those scriptures, it's pretty easy to see a very important thing about the dad. The dad was looking out over the horizon, and he saw his son. Now, I don't know if y'all realize this, but a lot of dads and a lot of people have a whole lot more important things to do a lot of times than just looking at a horizon and catching a glimpse of their son from a distance. You know what I really think that shows? The dad the entire time was looking for his son to come home. That's what it meant. The whole time that his son was gone, living riotous living, I don't know if the dad had ever heard news of what was going on, but when his son approached the horizon, the dad saw him coming. He saw him. He was looking. That's what it means. We should always be looking for God to bless our family and our situation. No matter what you're going through, no matter what we've seen happen, no matter what the son or the child has done to the father, we should always be looking for God's blessings to come. We don't have to go pull them out of that rut. We don't have to go pull them out of that situation. God is going to show them what they're at in their lives, what's going on, and you don't have to worry about anything. We can give it to God. We can give it to God and say, God, take care of it. Uh, God, you're going to take care of it, and God will take care of it. All you got to do is be looking for a blessing. Just look. God's going to bless. He sees that the father returns home. Now, 
he returns home, and I wonder what went through the father's mind. I wonder what went through the son's mind. His son was dressed in rags. He was probably uh, halfway uh, skin and bones. He might have been barefooted, matted hair. He was weak from hunger. <clears throat> I mean, he looked rough. Been pe- He'd been feeding pigs, okay? And he probably stank pretty bad, too. He went through town. Didn't nobody want to be around this old prodigal son. But I wonder how he even recognized him at a distance. I think he just knew he just knew it. He seen a man come and said, here's my son. Here's my son. Here's my son. How excited can we get that when we think somebody is literally dead, uh, this father's been told, that I wish you were dead and has been left with all this substance and all these things. He's wasted it. And then from a distance, we see it coming back. How excited can we be as, as literal physical fathers? How excited do you think God is uh, when he sees us in the horizon coming back to him? Uh, when he gave his only begotten son, uh, Jesus Christ, to die for us? Uh, how excited do you think that makes him feel? Uh, yeah. He's a spirit. Yeah, he's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. uh, But he's a God that loves us. Uh, I believe there's sometimes that we surprise, oh God. I I believe there's sometimes that we do things. Uh, I believe there's sometimes there's things that we do that God says, oh, praise the Lord. Uh, It's exactly what I sent my son for. Uh, This is what I sent Jesus to die for was this change in his life. Was this, to see him coming over the horizon. The father was watching this horizon, hoping against hope that one day his son was going to come home. And I want you to notice what he did. In the Jewish culture, men wore robes. Okay? Big long dresses. If y'all ain't confused about what a robe looks like, go home and look up what a robe was in Jewish culture. And think about this man wearing this and seeing his son out in the horizon. And he began to run. He began to run. Now, I don't know if you realize what you have to do if you're wearing a big, long Jewish custom robe, but you have to reach down and pick up your robe in a big old bunch to run. It was very undignified to show your legs to the community as a Jewish man. I want you all to know that. America's different, but this is what's going on right here. A very undignified thing to lift up a robe and to show off his legs and to run to his son He had to lift up his robe and he had to show off his legs to everybody around him. So what that paints a picture to us as here is the daddy didn't care what anybody thought about him at that moment. His daddy did not care. I'd like to think if my son left and he came back, I wouldn't care what anybody thought about me, about where I had to meet him. But if he was coming back, I'd want to meet him halfway. I'd want to run to him. And God treats us the same way. He was barefooted. He was matted hair. He was nasty. He was stinking. But the daddy undefined himself, said, I ain't no better than anybody else. I'm going to run and meet my son. Men of respect never ran. But he did. Didn't care. You can see this father grabbing handfuls of robe. You can see that he didn't want to wait for his son to reach him. He wanted to go to his son. And he hugged him and he kissed him. His rebellious son. Repeatedly. Before his son ever said anything. Ain't that good? That when you go to God, he's going to embrace you just like this son right here. This this, this, this dad right here. No matter what you've done, you ain't got to say a word. He loves you that much. No matter how much you've d- d- defiled what he told you to do, no matter how much you turn your back on him, no matter what you said that you hated him, he's going to meet you halfway. He, no matter what the world thinks, he's going to come halfway to you. 
The father could have said, oh, you're back. Clean yourself up. You're back, son. What have you been doing? What have you been up to? Where's my money? Think of how many things the father could have said. He could have said a lot of stuff. I could think of the things that I would say to my son if he did something like this to me. But the prodigal son's dad does not sound like an angry father. Does not sound like he has to clean himself up. What the father could have done is he could have locked the door. He could have pretended he didn't exist. He could have not taken his phone calls. He could have rejected his son. But instead, he embraced him. He kissed him. He loved him. And he acted like a lovesick parent that loved his son. Many of the mothers and fathers right now they may not have received us this way. I want you to know something. If I had done something out of the will of my dad that my dad didn't like, he'd let me know <laughs> growing up. If I ever did something he didn't approve of, buddy, I heard about it within an hour usually. And the son here, he has this apology memorized, but I want you to realize something didn't matter. It didn't matter how many times he rehearsed it. Now, I rehearse things to apologize to my wife because I know they got to sound real crisp and sweet. I may have to, you know, really sugar it up to make it, make it work, but I don't have to with God. We don't have to do those things with God. What the father did was he went and said, go get the best robe, go get a ring to put on his finger, go kill the fatted calf. My, my son that is lost has returned home. You see a symbolism of royalty. The robe is a symbolism of royalty. He's given a ring and sandals. Slaves weren't even permitted to wear, I mean, rings and sandals. In other words, he's not only going to treat him like a son, he's not going to just accept him back into his family. He's going to treat him like a royal son because he's come back. And he's killed the fatted calf, and not every, not every steer is raised this way. This, these things are kept up in a small area. They're fed grain. They're really fattened up. These are special, set up to, to cut up and kill for special occasions. And not like they had 20, 30 of them sitting around. They probably had one to two or three, if that. They might have had one. Kill the fatted calf. Kill one of them. So we don't know. It was a very special occasion, but the son is dead and is now alive. What better rejoicement do, reason do we have that my son is dead and he is now alive? It's time to celebrate. And we get to 25 through 28, and we see an example of the older son showing up and seeing what's going on. And I find it very interesting to take some time and look at that. The older, dutiful, obedient son was in the fields. Now, let's, let's understand something. One son <laughs> wished his dad was dead, okay? One son been there with daddy all this time. He hears a commotion, and he asks what's going on. He hears music. He hears dancing. We, we see all these things going on, but it shows that he becomes angry. He becomes angry because these things happen. And he becomes into a fit of rage. In fact, he don't even want to go in the tent. I'm not going in there. My son that left that wished my dad is dead that took all the inheritance is in that tent. I'm not going in there. And here it is that we find out what really is on the other son's heart. In 29 through 32, the oldest son that seemingly is good reveals his own condition. This is what he says. All these years, I have been slaving away for you, Dad, and you've never even given me a goat. That's what he says to his dad. He says that you never even give me a kid. Daddy... I've done all this work for you, 
and you've never even given me a little baby goat. All this work, all this time, I've slaved away here. I've done all these things. And this son, which is the eldest son, I want you all to realize that. And if you back up to verse 17, you'll realize that when they split the inheritance, when the one son went and wanted his inheritance and he asked for his inheritance right then, he actually gave the other part to the other son. So two-thirds of the estate went to the eldest son. A third of the estate went to the youngest son, the one that went off with riotous living. So he was given double what was given to the son that went off with riotous living. So let's just understand and realize what this son is saying. He says, Daddy, you've never given me a goat. you never given me anything. He complains. you never given me all these things. I've never had a party thrown with my friends. You've never killed the fatted calf for me, Daddy. Daddy, you've never done this for me. And he complains. And the, and the oldest son and looks... And acts a lot like us. <laughs> Y'all realize that? Well, we complain, whine. Daddy, you never killed a fatted calf for me. I'm not saying y'all saying that to your daddies. I'm saying you're saying it to God. And God, you never showed up, showed up in my life. Uh, God, you never blessed me with abundance. God, you never done this for me. God, you never done that. God's blessed you each and every day. And we're acting like spoiled little children that's been given the world. Uh, we live in the United States that you pretty much can't starve. Uh, you can't hardly reach into a place that you can go hungry in our great country. And we live in a place that you can kind of make your own. Uh, I guarantee that most of us got way more money and way more financial things and way more blessings than we ever deserve to get. Uh, and we have these little pity parties uh, when certain things happen. We say, God, you've never blessed me. I'm guilty of that. But my son was talking to me the other day. And he kind of insinuated, that kind of made me laugh. I didn't say this to my wife. My son said this up to me. He kind of insinuated that we were poor. He said, Daddy, he said, Something about buying something. Then I said, son, do you think we're poor? He said, I don't know. I said, son, we live in the United States. I said, we're, 90, we're richer than 95% of the world. He looked at me and said, wow. I said, yeah. He said, yeah, we are driving around in this nice Hyundai. He said, you can't just buy one of these. It goes off the, off the edge when he realizes, you know, wow. you know. And I'm not trying to tell you we got money because we don't. But in the scope of things, I'm blessed. I may not have a, a lot of money, but there's no sense in me complaining about I'm blessed. The older son had all these things, but he still complained. He still was whining. The youngest son, it came back, and I, we have to really realize that we're guilty of this. We're just like the older son. I say, why are they getting blessed? I've never been blessed like that. Why do they win this? Why, I can't never win that. Why, why do they have this? I've never had that. I'm so guilty of that. I look at other people's belongings sometimes. Why don't I have one of those? I'm the world's worst about a boat. <laughs> I see boats and I say, man, I wish I had one of those. I could have one if I wanted one, but I'm not going to get one. <laughs> and my wife's back there rolling her eyes. But we're blessed. We are. Didn't pay attention to the fact that his younger brother left far off in a country and demanded his share of the estate. Uh, he, he had been given his inheritance. His dad had already given his. He was rich. He was rich beyond any imaginable things here. And he, he, what, what was the problem? He was too busy trying to win his dad's approval and didn't realize that he'd already won it. God's already approved of you. 
You don't have to have something amazing happen. You don't have to be blessed each and every day. You don't have to have certain things happening. You don't have to see healing. You don't have to see a crazy works of God. We are blessed each and every day because we are Christ's children. The biggest problem in the church today is we do not realize the identity that we have as sons of God and that we have the greatest inheritance in the world. We have a father that is richer than any father that we could ever have in this world, but yet we do not pay tribute to that. We see so many times that this father has already given all these things, and we didn't even realize that God's given to us. Verse 31, the father says to his oldest son, Everything I have is yours. That's what he says. Just as God would literally tell us, everything that I have is yours. Everything that we have, he has. How often do we not realize who God is in our lives? We've got it all. Yeah, you may not have all the money you want. Yeah, you may not have all the food that you want. But you've got more in your life than the lost have by far. I don't care how much money, how much land, how much things you buy up, how much you can stick in a garage ultimately he was far poorer than his younger brother that was starving feeding pigs his life was that much worse poverty and his poverty was the result of misunderstanding the relationship to his dad that's why he was so poor he wasn't poor financially he wasn't poor you know different ways he was poor because he didn't realize who he was and we are poor in the church today as far as spiritual, as far as blessings, because we don't realize who we are. He was living and acting like a slave. That's who the dad was. I mean, the oldest son. He was acting like he owed something to his dad. And the younger brother knew that he could find mercy at his father's hand, but the elder was living a life that he tried to earn the father's love. You can't earn it. We can't. As God's children today, you can't do enough to get enough blessings. You can't do enough good things to get good things in return. That's not how it works. We, we, we know these things, and we wonder how many in this church, and we see ourselves as this, as this particular oldest son, as a child of God. Have you really grasped what's all yours? Most of us haven't. Each and every week, I kind of realize, you know, I don't have to put up with that spiritually in my mind. I don't, I don't have to think about those things. I don't have to worry about these things. We, we spend a lot of our days living like a slave trying to earn God's approval. Well, I just don't think I lived up to God's standards. You're not. You never are. <laughs> You're never going to be good enough. And that's what, that's what this prodigal son shows us, and that's what God, is, the Father, shows us here, is that we can't earn it. We can't do enough good things. I, I wonder if you've if claimed your, your birthright. I wonder if we've really looked at this, and we looked at some of these promises throughout the entire Bible that it has to us, and apply them to your moment. Apply them to your lives. Apply them to the difficult situations. Apply them to the good situations. At school, who can be against me? Is what, the, is what the Bible says. At work, I can do all things through Christ. You can, you can go, you look at your finances and you can say the supply all, God supplies all my abundant riches. You know, we can use the Bible and cover almost any, any part of the book that we want to, but we don't have to beg. We don't need to beg God. We come to Him as children and ask for help. Who among us would deny our child basic things? Nobody. 
Now, I'll deny my child a, a, a gaming system, or I'll deny my child a, a goofing off here, goofing off there. My son comes to me and says, Daddy, I need bread. I'm hungry. I want to feed him. I think any father would. Daddy, I'm thirsty. I'm going to try to get him something to drink. It may not be what he wants, but I'm going to get him something he can drink. It's a very easy understanding of what a father is and what God the Father is to us. So many times we don't really think a, a lot about who God is to us. He's our Father. Some of us in this room have wandered from God. Some of us in this room have had times that we've got a long way from God. We have. You may be a long way from God right now. I don't know. I don't know your situation. I don't know your heart. I don't know your life. But I do know this. God is just like this prodigal son's dad. He is. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've got into, no matter how bad you've messed up, God's watching. God's waiting. God loves you. And I believe that God desires to wrap you up in his love. I believe that God wants to meet you halfway in whatever you're going through. Whatever your, your, your difficult situation is. And there's so much awaiting you when you get back home. That's the best thought with the prodigal son is that son had to return home and he was loved just like a son, like a royal son. He was put up and he was loved and he was embraced. Some of us have been slaves. Some of us have not recognized our sonship. But I want you to know something, that God the Father is your father. If you're saved today, you're, you're his child. You, you are the one that he loves. Your obedience and your service is noteworthy. But I want you to know something. It don't win out in the end of the day. God loves you. The Father desires to delight in His children and in His presence. You know, I can't imagine doing that to my own dad, but I also couldn't imagine moving and getting way away from him, getting where it would take days to get to him. I couldn't imagine what that would be like. I couldn't imagine if my son decided to do that. And a lot of people have children to do that. They move off, and I can't imagine... Uh, the difficulty of that. The difficulty of knowing that the child is gone. And we have different families that go through these things, but I want you to think about this as they get a verse of some song ready this morning. God loves us. God cares for us. He treats us just like His only Son, His only begotten Son, and I'm glad today that He loves us enough that He sent His Son Jesus to die for us. He loves us. I'm glad I ain't got to go far. I'm glad I only got to make a few steps. I've only got to call upon his name just a little bit. And he always listens. He always embraces. And he'll always meet me halfway back. That's how much he loves us. The better part is he's already looking for you to come back. He loves you this morning. And I, I love you too. As a church today, I hope and I pray that we have that love uh, with one another. As we stand and sing, what page you got? One,